0: Welcome to the Crushing Comics Podcast. This episode was originally recorded on the 14th of October and debuted on YouTube. In this episode, we cover the fourth week of the X of Swords crossover, which included the issues Hellions No. 5, New Mutants No. 13, and Cable No. 5. Spoiler warning, we discuss everything about X-Men up to and including comics from the 14th of October, as well as other current events in the Marvel Universe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Peter, also known in most corners of the internet as Crisis with a K. And I'm here with two of my favorite mutants from around the world, Tyler and Freya. Tyler, uh, where do you land on the plumage versus tassels debate? Do you have a personal preference? I would say feather, which means it's plumage. I think it's plumage if it's all feather. Yeah. And then, Freya, <laughs> how did your last family vacation with mom and dad go? Any alien invasions repelled on that one?
1: Um, it it was fine. We were having a lot of fun. But I think when mom and dad came back, they were inve- infected by aliens, and I think <laughs> they still are. And I'm I'm concerned. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Well, like that... he, like my dad says that everything's okay, but it's not. I, I can... Are they
2: always smiling?
1: Yes, like this, (laughs) (laughs) which is weird, you guys.
0: Well, anyway, if, if that's not enough of a hint, this is our full spoilers look at the X issues of the week, which this week is Hellions number five, New Mutants 13, and Cable number five. So if you have not read them and you want to be surprised by them, and oh boy, were they surprising, you need to stop watching this video now. But if you're ready to go on this journey with us. We're ready to go on it with you and talk about these chapters of X of Swords. So as always, we're going to do a quick round table to talk about our first impressions. And then we're going to dig into what happened in these issues, both a little bit of a dig into the continuity and a little bit of the dig into you know how do we think this plot and this creative team choices are unfurling. So let's go to Freya first. Freya, uh, how did you feel on the whole lightning round about these three issues?
1: Um. This was one of the best week. I feel like you know, not just on like X of Swords or Ten of Swords, but I think like you know, all of Docs. This was been this has been a really good one because all three across the board was fantastic, and I cannot wait to talk about them.
0: Yeah, Tyler, thoughts?
2: I I mean, agree completely. I mean, the not just the writing the art is really, really good too. So, you know, all three, I mean, all two, th- I mean, the writing, the art, and the compelling um, stories in, in all three issues uh, makes this the
0: best week in Dust so far. No wow. doubt about it. Well, I have to say, we all know that I keep an intense database of every comic that I read with ratings and release dates and things, and I had to triple check but this is my top rated week of X-Men comic books in the past half decade. Uh, I, I thought they were incredibly delightful. I think they were funny when they needed to be funny and dramatic when they needed to be dramatic. And I do think that we've seen the birth of perhaps one of the new best art teams in comics on one of these uh, and I think that it's really delightful to see uh, the other two artists up against each other because they're very similar, and it was just a real treat. So I, I'll dig. Yeah. I have a lot to say about art this <laughs> week, but this, this might be the most positive version of this program that you, the audience, will ever listen <laughs> to or hear, uh, because I I can't imagine we're ever going to come out as positive on a on a week as we did on this one. <laughs> I mean,
2: I'm going to balance it out a little bit by nitpicking things apart. <laughs> so it's really, yeah. really nitpicking things apart so that, you I know, f- you you get a little bit off of the negative, if you want, if you will.
1: Right, and I feel like, you know, any time when all the issues are really good or, or all the issues are really bad, I feel like we, our energy level kind of matches that. And, you know, <laughs> last week's issues were kind of in the middle they were ground middle. They and were middle yeah. ground-ish. they're yeah. middle ground and we were also kind of in the middle ground in terms of our enthusiasm so this week you know i can tell there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, if you can't
0: us. feel it already, we're, we're a little bit more manic and buzzing. We're <laughs> buzzing.
1: Like our plumages are like flying all over the place. Oh like it's, my gosh. It's so much. So guys, look, let's, so much. let's
0: jump right into this first issue of the three, which is Hellions number five. Hellions has been by Zeb Wells. Zeb Wells has written in the X-Men universe before. He wrote... Um, New Mutants back in 2010. And he's been gone for a while and he tends to drop in and write some Spider-Man books. Sometimes he's a very good Spider-Man writer. But here we are in Hellions and it starts out with a resurrection scene that mirrors the resurrection scene that we saw back in the beginning of House of X, except for this time the person being resurrected is Empath. And he is the opposite of empathetic he has he doesn't care about who brought him back or if it was a good thing or a bad thing or like that hope and xavier are trying to help him he's like (laughs) f this noise screw you all uh obviously it's fun to see an obnoxious character like this be obnoxious and also be treated badly because he's so obnoxious but do you like is it anything more than funny is there another level to hellion here or is it just a gag
1: So I I, I told last week that, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about Hellions. And one of the things I just don't understand why they're resurrected, resurrected so fast, because they are so bad, terrible mutants. Like, why would they do that? Because there's like, I'm pretty sure there are millions of mutants still not like, you know, not brought back. And they're just brought back. Because, what, they died in action? And even that was, like, just a, like, whatever. Like, wh- why are we right, doing they're, this? They're almost a they the like Black
0: Ops, more of a Black so- Ops team than the Black Ops team of, of X Force, you almost have to worry, wonder, like, how did they get in line for resurrection? Did Sinister like make a deal? Because it doesn't seem like somebody that even before this whole no egg situation, which clearly the opening scene here is before, yeah. um, it it doesn't seem like Empath and the other Hellions should be really high on the list, really.
1: And that, and I think like that kind of like I like the the scene was hilarious because you know I for for some I really enjoy it <laughs> when people really bitch talk about to Professor X, and this was like one of those like whatever who the f are, f- are you I, I don't like this and well, where is my where's my um like you know like why people are not shouting
2: my name right and, like uh, where's
0: my ceremony and it's almost like professor like, i don't even have time to explain that nobody is gonna receive you like, well, and, right and this is the first
2: time someone fling go uh go balls juice on his face right <laughs> after being resurrected <laughs>
1: So it's like, you know, there is like a lot of like fun elements to it. But at the back of my mind, I was thinking if I was a mutant and I'm waiting for my loved ones to come back and I hear that, oh, empath was resurrected, I would have some like I would know I would be in that middle of that quiet council and giving a lot of my mind (laughs) like no. And then I would also break flow and play the race card. It's like, is he brought back because he's white and, you know, blonde? And blonde. What's up? What's up?
0: No coincidence that the first mission is something that Sinister benefits from hugely, which was taking his old clones off the map and tidying some things up for him. So it's almost like Sinister has leveraged the fact that he's in this position of power. And he is, let's not forget, the one who's supplying the genetic information that's allowing the resurrection process to take place, that he kind of has found his only way to get what he wants. And as we roll into this the Quiet Council scene, it's all about Sinister trying to get what he wants. Because he's like, I think my people should go in and maybe, you know, interfere with this. Which... Let's just take it as face. It's a good plan, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why let the other side get their swords? If we can prevent even one of them from getting a sword, it's a default. It's kind of what I was saying about Wolverine and Solemn last week. But we agreed they had a gentleman's agreement. Sinister, no gentleman, as we know, um, is basically like, let's get in there and mess some stuff up, but... Clearly, he has an ulterior motive, which we're not exactly aware of. But to kind of wrap up this part of it, um, he gets played because he gets the people on the council to vote in favor of his team going. But then, because he is terrible, they vote in favor of him having to go with his team into the unresurrectable land of the Uh, other world. I was scream cackling (laughs) through this scene. It was the most delicious scene. But please... Talk first and then we'll come back to me.
2: No, well, I mean, it's, it's not just because he is a bad people person that the rest voted him in. The rest, I mean, he doesn't have enough vote, you know, for him to go in initially. But he poked the bear. He, yeah. he keep poking Magneto and it's like, oh, you know. You your know, daughter I, what, your daughter. bad influence <laughs> in
0: my havoc.
2: Yeah, my summer's it,
0: brother. <laughs> I think that, that's the part.
1: So... Can I request to someone, I mean, either Hickman or whatever, whoever's listening, is that the powers be, can we get like a quiet council series where it's just them just bickering the whole time? Like... Every issue, every page is just them bickering. As of now, I don't think I there was a single quiet council scene that was not hilarious. Like, I don't recall one. And this is no exception. And then it started off with, like, the whole plumage versus tussle. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: Oh, uh, like, you know, which one is it? I mean, uh, in terms
0: of throwing stones from glass houses, Exodus, who has this whole, like, I don't even know, like a Renaissance portrait framing thing that just hangs know. behind yeah. his head, for Wings. for him to be the one to make a comment to Sinister is just beyond, right? right. Like, he's just, just, like he doesn't stand on the on the platform of totally safe fashion choices. Let's just say that.
1: I mean, you know, and it's it is a very sexy cape. We talked about it before. last week. We
0: called it one of our favorite costumes in all of comics. Right. The Yeah. So
1: the thing is, like, you know, and then so it started off with that. But the thing is, my favorite scene was like and I'm going to use it in a meeting. I'm I'm just waiting for the perfect moment for that, that Sinister says that Emma loves this idea. Someone tell her face that she does. Like, you know, because her face was not, say, like, you know, kind of reflective. She was just looking on kind of rather disgustingly. And then, But then she was like, hmm. And then it's like, Emma loves this idea. I'm just going to waiting for my time to actually use this. And because of that, I'm going to be requiring all my team meetings, everyone to show their videos, because then I can use this joke. I'm just like, that, I just laughed at it for so long. I don't think I ever laughed at, like, an X-Men book this much. Well, and also, and it, carries it was just like the, so good.
0: It carries, like, the subtext of, like, you should smile more a little bit. Like, it, sinister can be very patriarchal and very... Um, talking down to just about anybody. It doesn't really matter if they're men or they're women equal or opportunity. whatever. Right, equal opportunity, uh, hegemony and, and patriarchy from Sinister. But it definitely, like, to have the guts to say something like that to Emma, to me, just made it funnier because, like, most other people would never make a comment like that to him. Yeah. But he's just so, he just is so blasé in how he <laughs> addresses the whole world. And to me, this is, this is like, well-written funny Sinister. Like, I liked him when he was scarier. I think he was meant to be the, the representation of childhood trauma and he used to be really scary, but Gillen, God bless him, took us on this journey to hilarious sinister back in, in the beginning of the second volume of Uncanny X-Men and here we are. But this version of him where he just blithely disregards everybody's opinion and assumes that he's right, I find that funnier than when it's just like joke, joke, joke because it's more consistent to who he is. He does think he's right all the time. Yeah. And- I mean, go ahead.
1: And no, I'm just saying he is right. It's a plumage, not a test. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I'm just. I'm just still.
0: Is it plumage? Plumage of what? Whose feathers are they? What? How is it plumage? Do beaks? I have to look at the definition of know. plumage?
1: I don't know. It's beaks probably. He probably like you know raised some muted and then plucked feathers out of them and then put them in his cave. I don't. So
0: know. plumage technically is a bird's feathers. Collectively. Exactly. Some, and the example that Google has granted me is, the male is in full breeding plumage. <laughs>
1: exactly. And then, you know, it was like, a lot of feathers. Sorry. This is the last time I'm going to talk
0: about it. <laughs> no, I think you going to know. keep coming up, actually, because this game yeah. is pretty much the <laughs> start of the issue. The output of the Quiet Council is, Sinister can have his mission, and they agree that they're all potentially going to die, but only if Sinister leads it. Sinister makes a big deal that he doesn't want to in the moment. But a few scenes later, we are reminded that Sinister pretty much has his own resurrection process, and, and so he's never truly at risk. There is, of course, the personal narcissism of whoever the main Sinister is at any given time not wanting to be a Sinister who dies, but it's not like Mr. Sinister's going to go away. I actually question if he would even allow himself to be resurrected in one of the eggs or not, honestly.
1: Probably not, and does not need to? Like, he doesn't need to, so why? He would why? be like, get
0: your filthy egg away from me, it's much like ex- Elliot, ex- much like Empath.
1: Ex- right, but I think, so my thing was, though, it's like, why did they all agree to the, his plan? Because I just don't, I, I, I don't get it, because the thing is, the team that he has are so incompetent, why are, like, why the quiet, like, it's mostly incompetent. I mean, I'm sorry, they just don't work together, well together, and we have seen it before. So why the quiet council said okay to this, not the X-Force? I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused by that.
2: Tyler, well, do you have the, any thoughts there? The only people, I mean, the people who agreed to it was Emma, uh, Mystic, um, Exodus, and Sebastian Shaw. And, of course, Sinister himself. So, all these people are really not X Men. So,
1: so, so my question—I mean, so my quest- with the
2: exception of Emma, you yeah. Know, so, yeah.
1: Right. So, my question to that is: like, was it because they just wanted him out of the way, and then this was an easy way to get rid of him? Well, they I think, think
2: from—I would say from Emma's um, point of view—is like they are. You can sacrifice them. I don't care, you know. But I don't want to sacrifice important people. So these are the people that, um, you know, they co- are sacrificial lambs. If they come back different, so be it. I don't care. No,
1: but I but I get that. But the thing is, like, if they mess up there and Sardine finds out, she's going to make them forfeit the Krako- forfeit the competition, and thus Krakoa will be in danger. So That's why, yeah, so why allow these, like, you know, insane people, to carry out this mission? Isn't it a lot of more risk?
0: I mean, I, you know, I ultimately think that, again, the difference in small degrees, but first of all, sometimes you have to just have plot conveniences for a story to be funny, right? Right, like right. That, right. But I do think if we want to try to justify it in story. It's like, they've made sure that Sinister specifically has a team of people who are all fundamentally broken. I mean, if we look at it, you have Qu- Quannon, who's now Psylocke, who's been living the idea of being body snatched for years and resurrected repeatedly. You know, Havoc, who, you know, had all of his Maddie Prior stuff, but then died in X Factor, came back, was sent to space to die, came back, was sent to the future to die in Uncanny <laughs> X, Avengers came back. You know, Nanny, who's the psychotic scientist who thinks she has to forcibly adopt every mutant. Like, I can go on, but these are yes. all broken characters who fundamentally have identity problems to begin with. It's almost like the whole theme of the book is characters with identity problems, and I think that that gives this, like, a different level of deniability for Krakoa than x-force which are clearly the black ops mutants like Mm -hmm. these people can barely hold a conversation with each other so how deniable are they really as a as a group like Mm. pretty deniable so i think that there's kind of like plot contrivance reasons that it's just fun so just let them go and do it but i also the way i've been justifying it to myself is like sinister's a wild card anyway let him do whatever he wants to do like if like all these people were resurrected just because they were nobody's gonna jump to put them in the front of the line or grieve too hard they're per- they're specifically the outcasts.
2: Yeah.
1: I feel like Scott yeah. will care about well about Havoc maybe, yes, but it yes, almost yes, feels yes.
0: like like this title <laughs> maybe could have been the second arc to Fallen Angels. Like this Fallen Angels would apply really well to this team, but like Fallen Angels just did so poorly and had such negative reception, and there was going to be a writer change anyway that they were like, mm. let's call it Hellions. But I do think yeah. it kind of like extends this idea of like who's forgotten and who's left behind. Pers- personally,
1: mm. okay. i I, I
0: don't
1: know thoughts on that no no i i really like this uh, this idea but i was thinking that it would make more sense if they just kind of said no and then had that (laughs) and then they kind of went on their own yeah they went on their own because exodus pushed him like you know exodus pushed sinister into like oh i think you should still go you know because (laughs) i wouldn't think wouldn't that be a little bit more deniability like you know i so i i was kind of thinking it will go that way but then it's like oh okay
0: and we're going to get into Exodus just a little bit more when we get into New Mutants, because I know I, I and I think Tyler have a lot to say about that. But let's, so we've talked about Exodus and how Magneto's the tipping vote. Let's talk a little bit more about this sinister, sinister scene, right? So we, we know that he can resurrect himself, and this is kind of one of these broadly played for comedy moments. Yeah. But, but, like, is it more than, again, just like with Empath, is it more than a gag? Is there something here, or is it just a couple of pages of, of comedy?
2: I mean, part of it, and, and and this is going to be one of my um, nitpick, is that um, how could he operate a clone farm on Krakoa without Krakoa knowing?
0: Well, it's at Bar Sinister. Uh, Isn't that a different island?
2: No, Bar Sinister, I think, is part of Krakoa. Ah, uh, we got to review the
0: maps. Yeah,
2: I believe that's the case, because I think there is a Krakoa-Bar Sinister um, area. All right. So,
1: but I feel like the bigger because... No, go ahead, sorry.
2: No, no, I said that was the part which I kind of want to nitpick. And also I find that is this something that Xavier Xavier and um, Magneto actually allow? You know, they are like just closing one blind eye to it because they know he's going to be doing some things um, you know, with some knowledge from Moira um in her previous lives. So So they just let him do his thing, let him think that it is something that's secret and, you know, and that, you know, when they need to, they can stop it or they can push it further, depending on how the whole story develops.
1: So the way I kind of looked at it is because just to show as like a bullet, like, sorry, like a Chekhov's gun kind of way that Sinister has a different way of uh, reviving himself. Like, yeah. you know, he has another way of... Re- and he is not... He's a beyond that. And mm-hmm. I think, like, to your point, what you were saying that why Krakoa allows it, I don't know whether Bar Sinister is in Krakow or not. I feel and like... it is.
0: I, I did just bring up the network. Na- yeah, the so, it yeah.
1: Is, it, so it is. And I think it's because Krakoa really doesn't care about a lot of things, I feel. Like, you know, I think, like, it just allows these mutants to be living there. But the thing is, like, it's not... Like, it just kind of, like, let... I don't care what they do, like, you know, because I don't because he it didn't say anything about all Shaw and whatever all the nonsense that he was up to, like, you know, didn't necessarily like, you know, because I'm pretty sure Krakoa listens to all the conversations that happen. So, you know, why not give all all of those away because Krakoa really doesn't care.
0: Well, and I think that this also naturally relates to like uh, uh, as comic fans, especially as X Men fans, people tend to really like rules. Like they read something working a certain way in the comic book, and they're like, "Well, this is the rule now, right?" Like resurrections work like this now. Wolverine, mm-hmm. w- when Wolverine got brought back in House of X, we all said, "Why can he have his adamantium back?" And then they revealed the five, and Proteus was there, and we said, "Because yeah. there's reality warpers." Like we all love rules, and I think that it's one of these things where like if we try to force the whole world to snap into rules, sometimes we don't get kind of moments that are interesting or moments that can shock us and so is bar sinister on krakoa yes which i didn't realize as i was reading so clearly i didn't dig into it that much and like technically is probably krakoa somehow aware of everything that's going on on the island yes but like to remove sinister's ability to be ridiculous and to have clones of himself removes a huge variable from the plot so like at some point do you have to make the rules subservient to the ability to make the plot interesting, right? Like, for the same reason of you know Nanny, why, I don't know if, I forget if she ever died, but like, why is she still in an egg? Why doesn't she do the combat with an apocalypse and come back not in the egg, right? But in the same way that we have characters who have physical modifications to their body, whether they're injuries or not, that they're maintained through resurrections. Like Cyclops, mm-hmm. technically, um, only has to wear a visor because he had head trauma he as injured, a child. Yeah. yeah. And he can't control his ruby gem, you know, beams. And yet he still has a visor on. And it's, you know, we could have a huge philosophical because discussion it's sexy. about. Because, it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, um, you know, we could have a huge philosophical discussion about, like, yeah. why wouldn't they bring him back without the head trauma? What's the story there? But the story's only interesting to tell if it's interesting. And I just mm-hmm. feel like it's more interesting to have Bar Sinister there than it is to wonder why it should be allowed there and maybe we'll get that maybe we won't you know but, but that th- that's yeah. why i was interested in your takes on it because i think it's kind of one of these things that you have to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt or else everything becomes too prescribed <laughs>
1: right but <the> thing <laughs> is, like true. i feel like with the nannies one i don't think she knows about the resurrection resurrection thing because i feel like she just found out you know that that um
2: there was a scene in the, there was a scene in the first that, arc yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I think he she recently found out, and she then says, also, I think she
2: she said something like something like reborn or something.
1: Yeah. So I think yeah. I think it's just, and then even here because um, sinister actually explains to them that oh, resurrection is currently off when it comes back, and then there was like some discussion that oh, how does that work and stuff. So I don't think Nanny actually knows mm, what's I did not the cap on that. yeah, like you know she doesn't know. I mean, come on, who likes to be in an egg? If she,
0: if she and she was I, somebody on twitter so fun story a couple of weeks ago freya as she was starting to read hellions was like who are these people like what is going on here so we put out the call tyler and i on twitter for people to explain each cast member in Hell- of hellions in one tweet if they possibly could and somebody came through with like nanny's origin kind of page and i had actually forgotten that she was sealed in the egg like she, yeah. she, she right. was a person at one point, and she was she's put like, into the egg.
1: Why? It's kind of like kind of like a Doctor
0: Doom Tin Man. You but, know, like
1: uh, to be honest, I could not for the life of me figure out why an egg. Why not an was, Iron Maiden it's or late something? Late stage
0: Claremont, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> I like, I was like, no, no, what it's a not weird. Claremont. Did it's, Sim- it was is Simonson. Simonson.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. It was. Just... She she have, she first appeared in X Factor. So I think Simonson was the one who who wrote that.
0: So um. So look, the final gag is before we get into other world. gosh, we got to keep this moving, is Empath yeah. is back, right? And he's basically just back to abuse the team even more, which nobody seems to have any control over. Like they could have just left him behind, but no, like I guess he's on no. the team. But it yeah. winds up paying off because they do need to do some convincing of people in Otherworld. And it kind of sets up this, kinda, this Grey Crow empath um, face-off and you know we're not done because he makes Grey <laughs> yeah. Crow into a pet. Like that's gonna come back to hurt him pretty soon. Definitely. I <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Another. I mean, uh, we
0: we have to talk a little bit about how often
2: often Maker is like playing the whole role of like a hero going to a sword quest because he doesn't carry a sword normally, right? And in this in this issue, he has a sword with him and a and a gigantic sword <laughs> too hanging on his side, <laughs> and and how he was like, oh, what gray cow. not understanding i mean he's literally a five-year-old
0: and i think a lot of people just write him as like nanny's little like flying monkey to do as she commands but wells has been making sure to write him a little bit more with this childlike sense of wonder which is like really in opposition to the situations that he's being put in which actually gives this book a little bit of it's like horrific bent like there's a Mm -hmm. child on this team you know
2: i know i mean he's
1: and then- I, I I actually I can't like resp- like you know kind of speak to these characters because this is like the first time I'm actually experiencing them. But my god, each one of them is like more horrible than the next one. And I'm not saying the horrible in the sense that the character themselves, but the specific surroundings around them or yeah. whatever they're going through. It's just like, ugh, like you know, if I were Havoc, I would really try to distance myself from that. Very fast. Like, I feel for a <laughs> Havoc, and I don't care for him, by the way, but I'm caring for him more. I'm like, ugh. Like, no, please, no. But, uh, but we, 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 so we shouldn't go f- too fast without talking about Sinister versus Sinister because who won? I didn't get that. Whoever is the lines young up one? with
0: the cape. I don't know. Is it the new one or the old one? Youth before like, beauty or what?
1: Like, like which no, one won? The, and then the, also, the like, person the,
0: who <laughs> won, why is the person who won?
2: Going to the mission, that was a confusing part too. <laughs> that's because true. because they say winner takes winner takes a cape, right? And then the winners is the also one wearing in the, the cape. Yeah, also
1: won the one yeah. wearing the cape in there. So that's why I didn't understand what was the rule and who won. Because
0: right, yeah, the that now that you say it, if the winner <laughs> kept the cape, but he was trying to send the newbie to to yeah, there. There's something so, going on there.
1: So what happened? And so
0: the the final sinister confrontation sort of is him versus Jamie Braddock. Now Jamie Braddock has always been unstable and mm-hmm. he's always been portrayed Insane. as a little bit of a, a weirdo and now he's in charge of one of these other world kingdoms and it's a really interesting scene to see him and Sinister kind of manipulating each other back and forth like Sinister's like I know all about your predilections uh and then but then Jamie manipulates him back because he wants the cape and he wants to get rid of the horse and it's just it's 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 like just putting two totally insane tyrants next to each other just for comedic effect i this was probably the part that was the weakest to me because i think that jamie while he is ridiculous is incredibly deadly and and I've lost that a little bit in the kind of teeny Howard version of him that we've gotten in Excalibur so far. So I had to wince a little bit here. Like, we didn't really get any of his true madness here. He kind of was just another haha jokey character. So if I have one negative about this issue, it's probably that for me. But that's as somebody with a long Excalibur history who's familiar with the character. So Freya, Jamie is totally new to you other than Excalibur. How does he read to you here?
1: So I thought that he was just trying to get rid of that horse. like, And I thought that that was very clever, though, because the way he got rid of it, and then it was actually a problem. But then, I, but see, that's the thing, because I found Excalibur to be a little bit boring, so I really didn't pay attention, and I should have. <laughs> And, you know, I don't know. And now look to where me, you are.
0: I know. Now
1: look at, it's like, I'm just like, you know, just the last minute. Like, I, I probably would like end up in a hellion if I were in Krakow because I don't pay attention to things. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, uh, I was like, okay, like you're just like, it was just another fun scene for me. Um, but the thing is like, why is he still there? And whose side is he on? Because he's not for Krakoa, it doesn't seem like it. And he's just, just being there, being insane. And I don't yeah, know if he's I like... never
0: been much for mutants. Like, he doesn't... And, he's historically and, not know, one that cares a whole lot about this not, whole mutant business. Not
1: to be political in this, but the thing is, like, we do have a Jamie Braddock currently in power. So it just doesn't feel hilarious anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like But
2: like, ah. I mean... He he is he, he is deadly. I mean, in in his previous appearance, like you know, like um, Peter said, he is uh, he's a real villain. So and you know and and he's powerful. I mean, he is a pretty big reality whopper. Well, he's I one mean, of he, the few did, Omega mutants left, right? Yeah, yeah. And he did he, he did bring back um,
0: uh, Brian when he died. Without making it too currently political, although I'm happy to go there on this channel and people should understand that, but uh, without having to make it too specifically currently political, I think that in the three parts of this issue and the different conflicts we see since in, we're really looking at the different ways that kind of laissez-faire rule gets applied, right? Here we are with, you know, mutants have their own de- of democracy, more or less, with the Quiet Council, even though we could probably give it a more specific name. Um, and... And there's no challenge to the rule, right? And everybody's kind of allowed to do what they want to do, except for the three big rules of being mutants that we learned at the end of Powers of X and House of X, with only a few subrules kind of coming into place. And this Mm -hmm. issue, even though it's super funny, actually seems like it's starting to dig into, well, what does it look like now that we've removed all the oppression and all of the the structure from mutants uh, for other people's rules? What does it begin to look like, right? So the Quiet Council we see, which is supposed to be this august voting body, very quickly kind of descends into anarchy and backstabbing, even though they're supposed to be the ones that are directing this whole race. We have Sinister, who's basically flouting every possible rule of re- of resurrection, and there's zero consequences. Like, he's not getting put in the pit because he's not killing any humans, and he's actually helping with make more mutants, so there's nothing wrong, right? And then we go to Jamie Braddock, who, in many times, has been portrayed as somebody who just wants control, the irony being that his power gives him control over all of reality but he wants like some extra form of control he wants to be in charge he wants to be allowed to whatever make whatever madness he wants and here he is with a crown on his head and he's like bored and he's arguing over a horse so i just think in terms of the whole thing it's a bit of a farce about what it means to like get what you want or like to be in power or to be in power without any checks and balances like it doesn't work and, and I think that that's like one of the big themes of Hickman on Krakoa, but we're seeing it in microcosm with Sinister. He can't even come to an agreement with another Sinister. And then we have Jamie, who got all the things that he wants. He rules over a whole kingdom in Otherworld and he's like critically bored. So I just, I just think that there's actually a really interesting overarching theme here about, you know, getting what you want and the idea of kind of laissez-faire rule and what that creates in your own society. I don't know. Am I reading way, way too much into this because of the current political climate? Or do you think there's something to that? No, be part of the <laughs> madness of Jamie
2: can be seen in that particular issue, your favorite issue, Freya, of Excalibur, right? Where he was randomly creating like a small incursion of like random dimensions. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's what he has been doing. And... Right. And I think that's... I, I mean, here, I think he's bored because Sachin-in has, has sort of, like, stepped in and said, hey, everything has to stop now because things are happening in the other world. So he couldn't do anything. Well, except steal her horse and then try to give it away and and put the blame on Sinister.
1: Right, and I think, like, it kind of also points to, like, you know, um, like, I remember once you asked me, Peter, the question that when... Uh, like mutants don't have to fight for their freedom what do they do and i think like this kind of comes to that as well like it's like okay now everyone got what they their hearts desire now what and that's what's happening because there is nothing more to achieve to these people so now they're just bored. and then resorting to stealing horses but the thing is but then to that point is like i think like if jamie was more in control and not like an insane character i would have probably like you know connect more to or like you know find it more interesting versus i'm like Mm -hmm. okay yeah he is he has no control over his emotion or how he deals with things so what do you want me like you know what to expect from that you know, right. So that's something right. I was, I mean, you know, I'm not too into that.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's a theme for us to keep an eye on both. I do think that Jamie is a Chekhov's gun himself because we really haven't had a lot of information past that 1 Excalibur issue where he was setting up alternate realities that's surely going to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. And also I think this overall theme of kind of like decadence leading to fall, right? Like it's a very kind of like fall of Rome sort of, Thing And it's, it, we've kind of sensed it in the Krakoa society, but it's actually seems like it's a, a pervading theme across like even smaller groups or even separated groups of mutants right now is this, that is, this is almost the decadent period, right? We're fighting over plumage. Uh, mm. We're fighting over capes. This is the decadent mm. period of the role. So look, mm. before we close out this Hellions issue, I have to talk about the art, which is Carmen Canero and uh, David Curiel on colors. Canero, I, I think she is maybe the best artist at Marvel. I know a lot of people love Lara Silva, especially from House of X and Powers of X. There's a lot of great other artists, but there's something about, A, the way she really does facial acting beautifully, yeah. amazingly, and then two, the way that she shades always evokes a little tiny hint of Jean Cullen for me. She shades, and almost kind of painting the shading as a texture. And Gene Cullen, very famous Silver Age penciler, was no, and bronze, uh, was known as this person who painted with pencils. But when she gets a really shiny color on her, I think it takes away some of the command. And here we have Curiel, who did not do colors quite as shiny as, say, like a Marta Gracia. And I just, I don't know that there's a bad panel on this issue. I think, I think this is as good looking as a comic book as you can buy from Marvel or DC, like full stop. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, from the first page when I look at the first page, I actually went directly to the credits page to make sure that it's not Pp Laras who is drawing it, it because it kind of looks so a little like much. Laras, yeah, yeah, right. So then, then I went back. and was like, "Oh, who is this person? Oh, she's the one who who mentioned that she's going to do the X Corp book. The map called the, magical the disappearing yeah. X-Corp book.
0: yeah. Well, and also um. I think Lara sometimes has problems with faces, especially when people are in like mid battle. Everybody just has the same look like, mm-hmm. like their jaw <laughs> has been uninged an and their face has got, and I just, I just think Carnero like a little bit better at making people's faces look distinct and different. That's just me, but I'm, yeah. I'm going, I've always been going back to bat for her hard ever since her first Marvel interior. And I really think she's yes. just something amazing. Freya, any I- comments on art before we move on?
1: No, I mean I I like uh tell her, I actually thought that this was also paparazz uh for for a little while and then I went back and checked. Um uh, but the thing is like you know I'm I'm super excited to read uh Captain Marvel that she's doing the interior uh art for um written by Kelly Thompson. So I it was kind of good to see her work a little ahead of time. Um and then it it's 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 beautiful. Like nothing, you know, like n- nothing to complain.
0: Yeah. Want well, anybody who draws a whole issue of Sinister and spends all of that time on his plumage, that is dedicated to their craft. So, look, let's move on now to New Mutants number 13, Ed Brazon's final issue of New Mutants. Aww. As we know, my favorite Dawn of X series against... All odds. Yeah. This all odds. this is a very singular issue. It's all about the fact that Doug, in combination with Warlock, has been voluntold, as we like to say at my old office, that he is Same. going to be part of this mission and magic who has a long history with doug she was on the new mutants she joined at pretty much the same time as doug back in the 80s and already witnessed him die once pretty much uh realized that this is going to be the end of her friend again because there's nothing she can do to make doug as fierce as all of these combatants there's a couple other themes to touch here but i think this is the big one this kind of familial love tough love big sister aspect to magic uh, Tyler, I know you go way back with these characters. What did you feel about this?
2: I mean, I think it's, it, it perfectly encapsulates these two characters. And because Magic has, has been fighting for herself, for her soul, like, you know, for the longest time. And this particular version of Magic, you know... Has to fight even more because she was recreated by Belasco. Like, and I mean, we, we, we are not going to go there, yeah. but we'll basically, get, we'll catch Furia yeah. up eventually on huh? yeah, <laughs> yeah. someday,
1: someday, yeah. someday, you guys. <laughs>
2: yeah, but basically, you know, this character has to fight for her soul and herself to maintain, you know, her, um, to maintain her, right, the, the her being for the longest time. She's fierce, she's a good fighter, and then you have Doug who. You know, like Peter said, has died once. And, you know, and I feel like, I feel like in this case, it's like Brisson is basically writing, writing, writing to say that, hey, um, all the other writers are like hate writing about writing you. Or all all all, all 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 the artists hate drawing you because you can't do anything action. And <laughs> you know, it's just a commentary on how other people view him. And then he also bring bring up some of some stuff which I thought was pretty um well, maybe not as deep a cut, but you know, it, it is something that is part of his history. Because when he first came back in Ex nikrosha um he was shown that he could fight because he could read body language so and and that was being brought in here um and i don't know i mean for 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 Doug, i just kind of like that you know his sort of um unspoken secondary mutation is to entice people to protect him <laughs> like, I mean, his relationship with Warlock is one, and then his relationship with Krakoa is another one. Because it has been shown in, in, in these two, I mean, in this issue that they protect him fiercely.
0: And all of you the know, original New Mutants have that Really, I mean, Rain especially, but all especially of them, Rain, Cannibal, yeah. d- you know, d- um, yeah. Danny, Danny. they all have a very custodial relationship with doug it's interesting that you mention and then we'll get free i can't help but go into the continuity hole for just one second here people did hate writing him and drawing him back in the day because he just he just is like always in the corner of a panel doing nothing but i really think that the past year has been like the doug ramsey renaissance i feel like we've got writers who are of the age to remember that like everybody always treated Kitty as the entry point character into mutant, and for a lot of people it was Doug. He was this nerd who, even among the cool people with powers, didn't really have a cool power. And I think that the authors and and Don of X actually really like love him. And I and it's I'm always surprised by how much love and support he has on Twitter because I didn't like realize he was that loved really. And um. And I just, I think this is almost the opposite. Like in the olden times when he got killed, it was like, finally, Doug's gone. But now it feels like there's this genuine affection for him that was mm-hmm. always missing from how he's written before. And like, I was emotional about this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want Doug to die. And I don't yeah. think I would have said that 12 months ago. Yeah, but wow. that, that's the thing, right?
2: Like, you went from... That's that's why it's so brilliant this week. Yes. Like, you went from one book which is, like, all jokes and funny and, you know, and touch on a lot of character bits and then you come to this one where, at the end of it, you're like, oh, no, he's going to die.
1: Yeah, I, Doug's I feel goner. bad. <laughs> yeah. Doug's a goner.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and not just gone, gone. Like, like this version of, of him will be gone. Forever, right? even You're if they resurrect him, yeah, I think and and that's that's why X Factor is important, like that particular chapter, because without that, you would not you would not feel so much for this particular chapter, and
0: and and, and I really loved it the, the the way it was being set up this way. Yeah. So I have, I have three things I want to talk about. but Freya hasn't had a word in Edgewise on us for a while. Freya, <laughs> yeah. What? How did you feel about Doug here?
1: So I don't. Do you have want much- to protect him? Ugh! Like,
0: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
0: like, well,
1: I, so the thing is, like, I don't have much history with the dog comp- Like, I actually first known of him in Charles Sh- Sewell, Sh- Sewell Charles Soule, soul,
0: Charles souls, souls?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Daredevil. Like, when that's he was fighting the first- his internet
0: addiction recovery.
1: Right. You know, that's where I first uh, saw him. And I honestly thought it was a Charles Soul character, but I, I, mm-hmm. I it was a mistake. Um, but anyway, so the thing is, this chapter was important. Like, you know, I kind of I really liked it for two reasons, because first for one is the first time ever, I feel well, maybe not uh, that the character trope has been swapped where the woman is telling the man, dude, you can't fight. You will die. Like, something like that doesn't happen often because it often is like, oh, little girl, you don't know how to fight. Or like big burly man to
0: little fragile man. Like, it's definitely a little bit of a reversal to have the captain Mm -hmm. be the woman. Also, still right. scantily clad. Like, there's a certain amount of power oh, no, she, to the fact that magic is the captain, and she. she I always say that she's dressed in a, a sexy way, but she does not use her sex in the way that yeah. Emma does. Right. I know. But I think, yeah. like, oh. yeah.
1: But the thing is, like, she's she's. I think she's very like you know she's dressed sexy. Like that's like mm-hmm. to me is like a one off like powerful sexy. That's right. what I that's like to call it. That's what I'm it. trying to get to. Yeah, way. it's uh-huh. like it's it's very like it's not for male gaze only just because this is how I want to do it. And then with the hair thingies and everything. But anyway, so the thing is, first of all, that was like one of the reason I really liked it. And second of all, like finally we have that one person in the team who has no idea what they're doing, like, you know, and why they're they're there, like something that I can relate to. There has been times when I've been part of things where I'm like, why am I here? Or it's like way I'm like way overhead, like with all the stuff. A lot of the time I feel like that when I'm talking about X-Men, <laughs> like, you know, so the thing is like, so there's this guy and I think he has one of the coolest power in terms of language, because something that I am fascinated by, like how different language works and stuff like that. And to, him, to like, he can just <coughs> decipher language, he can create language and stuff like that. And here he is. It's like. know the whole thing about pen versus sword like he's someone who should be Mm. like not like nothing to do with sword and he here he is having to pick up a sword and there's also he's having to fight like like you know i'm thinking that it's very easy to say that i will never go to war but it comes to for things that i believe in and if i have to pick up a weapon i will and he's kind of going through all of that um i think like it it spoke to me. That part of it spoke to me. You know, do I still want to protect him? Maybe not. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he's probably going to be the one that is going to go. And, you know, we are being set up for that. Like, It, it feels so, like it could
0: be a misdirection to me. Like, it's so and obvious too, and that, too. that and he that would too. be the one that would die. It feels like if somebody else dies protecting him, it's going to be a story we haven't had before but who knows I mean we can only yeah comment- and that
1: and that's and that's possible too like you know it's like because all types of story has been told so now we're just looking at the combination of something else so it could be one or the other but the thing is like I was I was just mostly interested into seeing that aspect of it and I'm like thank god that some at least one person is like oh I don't want to go but I have to <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> so look I want to bring up a couple of smaller points here we don't have to dig into them quite as deeply but one is this idea of violence as language, right? So Mm -hmm. there's this idea that if Doug watches you fight enough, that he's going to understand your physical language and be able to understand what you're hinting at, fainting, what you're going to do in a fight. But Doug's power is distinctly different from prodigy's power. Prodigy's power is such that he can understand things by seeing them and then gain that muscle memory and command over his own body as well. Doug doesn't necessarily have that same ability to command his own body. So even, which past writers have played with, as Tyler brought up for a past run on New Mutants, where sometimes in some situations where he knows everybody well enough, he can speak their language of violence well enough to defend himself. And I enjoyed that Brazan very intentionally here plays that beat where he's like, I'm reading your body language, magic. aren't I doing great? And Matt and but then he's like, but I can tell you're not even trying that hard. So Brazan <laughs> kind of like very neatly referenced that plot point and then kind of swept it aside to say, like, yeah. that's not Doug's power. So don't mm-hmm. send me fan mail if we kill Doug that he should have been able to know that the sword swipe was coming to him. And exactly. I just think it's it's good writing because it didn't feel like a gotcha. It felt like a real character moment. That mm-hmm. also happened to be a gotcha to remind us that mm-hmm. it's not gonna save him. And I just thought that that's good writing to me. That is good writing. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, the other thing is that um, he, he, he he there's this
2: aspect of him where he's like really stubborn. He's like, no, I, I mean, it has to be me. I can't send anyone else in place of me, you know, like because this is because I want. Well, on one hand, I know I'm going to die. On the other hand, like I can't let someone else take my place. Oh. And then maybe, you know, for some for some miraculous reason, I can prove myself. So I I have to do it, you know, and 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 that I think you know you may call it stupid, but I think it plays into his heroic nature because that that shows that he's a you know he's good. Yeah. Or he just he... read,
1: or he just read too many Steve Rogers books. It's very <laughs> the, the Captain. Brownie kid
0: does not always get to become Captain America, but like, let's it's talk about
1: very Captain America. Yeah. Everything he said I... over there, it's I'm like, is this Steve Rogers? <laughs> Like,
0: Peter really yes. needs to talk about the
2: guy with wings. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. wings. <laughs> I'm so
0: lost. No, um, Exodus with oh, his frame. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I do want to talk about Exodus. So, um, Exodus makes Tyler's point to Doug, basically point by point, as you know, in comic form. And he's like, J- I could just pop your head right off of your neck right now and take the sword, and it would be better for everybody, and you would still eventually get to come back. I'm less interested in that as a debate between the two of them, because I think Tyler just kind of laid it all out for us. Um, And more interested in what is Exodus's role here? He's really the most mysterious member of the Quiet Council. Mm -hmm. He's probably the one of the 12 of them with the least panel time in comics ever. He's been allied both with Apocalypse in the long term and Magneto in the long term, but he's on the like miscellaneous villains part of the the council with... um, you know, it's sinister and mystique. But mystique. Yeah. 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 But in this laissez faire world, right? Where like everybody gets what they want, it's kind of feels like Exodus is like already caught on that it's not going to work. And you need a, a little bit of iron fist in there in a way that causes him to still venerate Magneto, as we saw in the Empire tie-in for X-Men, because Magneto will still get shit done, right? And Exodus yeah. is like, this is what you need to do sometimes as rulers. So I just thought that was really interesting, where Exodus is almost the one of the Twelve of them who I trust the most at this point. Not that I wanted him to kill Doug, but like he seems to be the most rational member of the Quiet Council in some kind of way. Am I totally off base here?
2: No, I think Exodus is the one, is that is that cynical... Reader who is like who, representing that cynical reader who is like you know things are not <laughs> me. Okay. <he's>
0: me. <laughs> things are not yeah. okay. You know. <laughs> um,
2: Ria, do you have anything?
1: No, I was just gonna say that you know, other than him brainwashing children in the island, <laughs> which wow. I do not appreciate. Like you know, Pretender. he's like yeah. Some finally he's doing something different. Like I mean that that's I. I don't know what like and that's something I was actually always thinking that is was his deal with getting on all of there that he's going to get this all this young mind that he can brainwash into whatever he wants them to do. And he's kind of doing that over here, too, like he's trying to tell Doug that, listen, young one don't you know and all that so i I don't know what's his deal but yeah he is like i don't know peter what's your deal
0: so tell us what's your deal and then we'll we'll know what's exodus to to influence young impressionable (laughs) minds uh no to have beautiful hair and plumage uh look i think that it's interesting because i want to tie it to the final thing other than the art that i want to talk about here is exodus um he's always been very militant and i think that he's kind of like militantly in favor of mutants winning even if you have to make tougher choices in a way that the quiet council is proving not to always be willing to do Mm -hmm. then on the other side of it you have krakoa who in its in his own way tries to convince doug but in the same way that exodus is saying i'm trying to convince you for the true good of all krakoa is trying to convince him by saying doesn't this sovereign land have a say Like, if you're going to remove the ability of the land to maintain its sovereignty, then can we afford to sacrifice you even if it's in defense of me? And I think Mm. that that's a really interesting beat to play because Doug ultimately tells him he has to go. But it's kind of like... Doug is Krakoa's voice. Like, he's his representation. And you can say all you want about, oh, Xavier will teach somebody else the language mentally or whatever, but, like, does Krakoa still have a voice in these things if Doug dies? Anyone?
2: I, I think that's the thing. Like, um, Krakoa may not have as loud of of a voice without Doug, but, you know... Like as shown here, he can still take over Mondo. He can still he can still speak like Quattro from Total Recall. Yeah, so- but, but he can still speak through Black Tom in some limited ways. So it's not a complete um, silence, but it may not be an accurate uh, mm. representation because those two may not be able to communicate. Well, I'm not sure about Mondo because I think Mondo will be able to communicate because he's talking Yeah, but Mondo
0: doesn't like it. There's like a whole other sovereignty (laughs) issue there where Mondo's like, get out of my belly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. please
1: make it stop. Um, So the thing is, I recently read, like I actually love reading World War II uh, books, um, comics perfection. The reason I'm bringing it up because I was actually thinking about it from another point of view. Is like, what happens when people who can actually work to help the country grow goes to war for Mm. the country you know because i was thinking about all those times when doctors engineers who could have doing other work to protect the people over here were all sent off to war to either make bombs make you know war machines uh not the comic version or you know sent into the into the field to Mm -hmm. patch up soldiers but the thing is those people could be in the country to say protect the country itself so i i was kind of thinking about it from that point of view that because he's a after all he's a linguistic like he's a translator and then he is like he's more his mind is more important than his fighting prowess and then it was kind of coming through from that point of view that was the point of view going to war and dying when it reduces how good, like a, what the good I can, like I, the country can be.
0: Yeah, well, and I think so, that actually brings me to, I think, very, very well stated by you. Uh, it brings me to my final of my three points, which is Brazan, previously possibly my least favorite regular writer at Marvel, has, in my mind, crafted this very interesting journey in 13 issues of New Mutants, which starts out with the youngest generation going away to spread the good news and ends with the youngest generation being sacrificed to war. And in the middle, it rhymes too. We start with the team as family with the Hickman arc that Brazon did co-write the first issue of. Mm -hmm. And then with Angel and Beak, we get this idea of like former team being literal family right and then we have the kind of the the young girl whose powers are creating these nightmares but then we have somebody whose powers have made their own life a nightmare with glob this run rhymes people say writing rhymes and sometimes it's a thing people just say to like say like it made internal sense but I just think there's something very powerful, emotional, and real about what Brazan has taken us on here. And it started with the young people being sent out almost as missionaries, right, of the good news, share the good news. And now it's ending with two of those same people being sent possibly to their death. And it's both from the same culture, like the same culture asked them to do these two activities, demanded them to do these two activities. And here we are.
1: Yeah. But isn't that how nation works? Right. That's, that's how, th- how that's real
0: exactly... is it? Really? It's well, yeah. your whole point. Like, the, you know, you ask people to sacrifice internally in the nation to like keep people in good health to, you know, invent things to and you reward them. But you're asking them to dedicate their life to that. And then you ask them to dedicate their death to that, too. You know, and I just think it's an interesting yeah. beat. And coming from a
2: country where we have to do national service, I mean, I sacrificed two and a half years of my life to train to be a soldier.
0: Really? Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's why I'm
0: older by two and a half years. (laughs) Compared (laughs) Compared to everybody else. Well, well, uh, so on those very heavy notes, now let's close out this one by talking about the art. Rod Rice has just a wonderful, savage beauty to his style where it's, you know, he paints across the page in colors and sometimes it can be tight, sometimes it can be loose. There's definitely a Bill Sinkovich Mm -hmm. aspect to it. I I don't know that he's ever drawn a prettier issue than this. And I like every... I mean, he's appointment comics for me. I will always read a Rod Rice issue. But this is as gorgeous as it gets from him. Again, I think just another stunning best-in-all-of-comics issue of art from the X of Swords.
2: No, I agree. I mean, his, his art is not very tight. It's kind of loose, a little bit loose. and But the colors and the, the, the emotion and the action that he evokes from his, his um, I think his painting is digitized, is done digitally. Yeah. So, so that really, really works very well in this issue.
1: I also like that it's kind of like a a good transition between Carmen Carnero to Phil Noto and then the bit in between Rod Rice, because I felt like his work was a combined of both. You know, Mm. so it just when you read Mm. all three back to back, as we did, it just felt like a good, like it it wasn't a jarring transition. It just like a soft, like, you know, so from that point of view, it was a win.
0: There's this one panel I'm just obsessed with. I'm looking at it on my other screen. It's um, the really tight on Krakoa's face when Doug is talking to him as a tree. And if you squint at it, it just looks like, you know, my face does. The brow is furrowed. There's some wrinkles. But then if you just, in this hair, you know. um, But then if you, like, actually dissect it, he does it just with, there's a brown smudge and then there's a brown smudge and then there's this little scratchy line. Like, he does so much with such little hints of things, you know. This is not somebody who drew, like, a perfect anatomy of what a face would look like on a tree. He Gave us just enough information for our mind to interpret it as a furrowed brow, and I just yeah. am fascinated by that. But I think that allows us to talk about the art first on cable number five because I've often said Rice and Noto are like t- t- siblings almost, like they they have really similar styles and the way that they paint. Noto's just got a little bit more of like a clean edge to it's it, it and a little more refined sometimes he has a little bit more of kind of like a 60s throwbacky vibe uh mm-hmm. again i think this noto issue one of the most gorgeous issues in all of comics and i think it should be illegal for anybody but phil noto to draw jean gray i think he's the i don't even care if she's in the marvel girl outfit he draws the best jean gray in comics right now thoughts opinions am i just on a rant at this point no
1: like so <laughs> phil noto is one of the things i've noticed is like the eyes my God, that guy can draw eyes. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's always right there. And that's the first thing you notice. But Phil Noto without a good colorist is absolutely
0: horrible <laughs> and this is I've him seen... coloring himself here right yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I think I think he has to either get color himself or get a colorist that works with him because there is another Jerry Dugan book um, that was uh, actually like him and uh, Phil Noto and Jerry Duggan um, an image book um, which he, I could not deal with it I was like this is not Phil Noto like it was because all the lines all the sketch lines were still there it, so this, it uh... was this but compared about to that, yeah. Compared to that, this was out of the world.
0: So again to give you a little of, of comic art education, and we've mentioned this before this idea of um if a if a line artist draws a line and then a colorist makes it a color later because they don't want the line of the hair to be black, they want it to be blonde, that's called a color hold, right? And so um it's something that Marta Gracia does all the time on Peppi Lara's on Emma Frost's hair. He makes the actual lines in the hair look blonde. That's not how Peppi Lara's probably drew it to begin with. But when you have somebody who draws themselves, and is probably doing it in color as they're drawing, like Noto, likewise, like um like Steven uh, Sejic. He they're just doing it in color to begin with, and there's no like other layer of interpretation, which is why Phil Noto colored by himself looks so different than Phil Noto colored by someone else, and the reason I always notice is the noses. Colorists so often have to like build a nose, like the artist has just put the nostrils in, and then they put the gradient on the one side, and the gradient on the other side to make it seem nose-like, right? But Noto yeah. just draws the nose in color. Color, and i get fixated by his noses you get fixated by his eyes i just stare <laughs> at Phil Noto noses because i think they're real they look like real people noses it's fascinating to me anyway no but I, I just I like the like... texture yeah of his, of his
2: of his whole of of the way he he paints the entire panel it's just like i mean there's there's those there's the Jim Lee Jim Lee Scott Williams uh, fraction where they do a lot of hexes and extra lines. Here he basically just say, Oh, let's let's darken this 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 portion of it. Right, let's it's almost like watercolor
0: in the background. Yep, like it's not it's totally without lines. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So I mean Just on art alone, you could not do better than these three X-Men comic books, is my thesis statement. So this issue, it's quick, much quicker than the other two. It's pretty much just a horror story, right? This family, Mm -hmm. this young, adorable family gets deposited on this... Uh, Space Station, and they're trying to figure out why Cable got sent there. Let's not lose sight that this was the vision that Cable had to go and execute. Um, And while they're there, they discover something has come through. Uh, And first Gene discovers it, then Cyclops discovers it. Cable... Witnesses it relatively little firsthand. So you get this both the horror movie trope of like stuff reaching through from the other side, but also the horror movie trope that we don't get. We don't, um, Cable never witnesses how each com- confrontation ends firsthand, and mm. neither do we as the reader. So we don't really know what happened with Jean the first time she communicates with them. And if you very carefully look at the panels, we also do not know what happens with Jean and Cyclops at the end. No. And I think that that is. Utterly fascinating. So dig in. Let's. I know Tyler has a lot to say about this one. Let's start with Tyler and then we'll roll down to Freya. Well, I mean, the very first thing is that... Um, is in the data page,
2: it took only 9 minutes and 47 seconds... For them to overwhelm the entire peak station. And that is very scary for me. I mean, and I and, and, and there were like so many things that... You know, you shouldn't be doing. Do not open a door... That has been, you know, welded shut. What? Why the hell do you want to open it up? There's a reason why they welded shut, and you know that kind of thing. Those those horror troops, and I have to profess I'm not a good. I don't watch horror films because I'm a mm. coward, <laughs> and I can't sleep after watching it. So, so but I do know a little bit here and there. I mean, it is kind of um, I don't know. I mean, it, it it's, it's really interesting, and then. This whole idea of like um, a virus attacking uh, the entire station—it sounds a little bit like Sublime and um, uh, Akia, Ar- um, you know, Sublime, which is the intelligent bacteria that was right. introduced in um, in Morrison's run, and brought and then, back in uh, Brian ooh, Wood's run on Adjectiveless yeah, X Men in twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah, X which is also the one that uh, introduced Akia, which is supposedly his sister. Um, who can interface with biological and te- and and technology uh, and technology um together you know that kind of thing so and then of course this one also has a little bit of um, pointing a little bit to um, the parasite in hot hot hive which is one of the province uh right up in otherworld so and i mean, i don't know i, I, I i'm fascinated by I'm sort of not fascinated. I'm kind of intrigued by how how this
0: actually ties in into X of Swords. I know it does feel almost like an interlude, but they but Dugan very carefully wraps it in the first scene with Cyclops and magic, which reflects the scene that we just had in hel- New in, um, uh, Mutants again it. with this great connective issue this week and then also wraps it at the end with him like everything's gonna be alright but it's like do you totally believe him it's actually kind of creepy when he says it's all gonna be alright at the end Freya what is your vibe?
1: So if your father tells you everything's gonna be alright everything is not gonna be alright
0: <laughs> That is not a good dad Dads don't say tell the truth dads when not say, say that, that. line yeah. yeah
1: Dads don't say that So I can tell you from that point of view. Uh, But the thing is, it also reminded me a lot like Alien, the movie. Like, you know, in a space which is nothing in there. And then, you know, all of that. I really love that. Love those movies. I don't like Tyler. I'm also a scaredy cat. And I don't like, you know, I like horror movies. I do like space station movies where things are not going right. Because it's always kind of, it's very, like, you know, psychologically uh, scary. Um, But the thing is, I was... So I wasn't quite like, you know, I think it felt like a setup for something more coming up later. And we know that there is a sword uh, book coming by Al Ewing. So I wasn't sure if this kind of connects to that. Um, I initially thought that the other world version where you know, the land where everything goes to die or like you know every like a lost reality is somehow yeah. connected to that and those that the opening was like those coming back. But apparently that's not the case. So
2: the the black spoke. So basically yeah. they 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 I mean basically I think that was the other thing that I thought it sounded like because they are supposed to um you know take care of uh, dimensions that are half form or they are like form singularity that was not done correctly so so they might have deemed that this particular dimension because of what happened in secret wars uh is it's not it's not formed right so and that ties into Hickman's run
1: Yes, I was thinking about that too. It's like, you know, because all this whole, like, you know, when they were talking about like all the realities that goes to die or like, you know, the versions. And I was thinking about how much Jamie has connection to that as well. So I was was kind of, I got kind of more wrapped up with that. So I was kind of looking for that clue to actually Mm -hmm. appreciate what's been going on. But yeah, so the thing is, it didn't click to me until... You know, until uh, Cyclops says, Scott says that, oh, everything's going to be all right. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This well, is not I, going to I, be all right.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it read so fast. And I think that there's probably some people who've been following along in X of Swords who were probably disappointed by it, right? Because it's not like super character oriented to Cable. It's not mm-hmm. super a sword quest the way we got in the issues last week. I mean, his sword's there, but he doesn't really have to go on a quest. It's there because he just put it mm-hmm. there. Um <laughs> So, I can see, so I've, and I've seen some chatter where some people was like, eh, cable's the weaker one. But I think it's so interesting because it brings in this wild card element of these, these space creatures, right? Um, and also, it's, it's very rereadable because every time I go back through it, I keep finding different little elements. Like that moment with Jean when she confronts them, it's so strange, right? There's the eyeless man, she looks back into his eyes, he says his piece. He re- he does something to her and says, and now you know, as if she couldn't, like, read that off of him in his own. You know, mm-hmm. he did something additional. Then he puts himself out the airlock, and Jean is shaken when she comes out of the room. And I don't know if I should read that just as shaken because she was just in a decompression event with the airlock, or, like, shaken because... So she has this deep realization about them which she doesn't really tell them all she says is it murdered everybody on the station but she doesn't really give them a full readout um on what she learned from them and later she says this might be the our only chance to see where they come from i just really got the vibe that Jean was is withholding something here very similar to the vibe that i got from mystique on the space station and and um house of x
2: no I mean that's definitely I mean initially the, the when I read through it the first pass I was like okay she she learns something and she's trying to stop it and then it got a little bit weird um you know towards the end and I don't know I mean like is the, the the whole thing with the two of them stepping through the gate and then talking telepathically to magic. And not the rest of the people, sounds it seems a little bit off to me too. So I mean that that part. I mean we could read it two ways. The very the, I mean on the surface, you know they defeated everything. They came back right, yeah, hooray, okay, yeah, yeah, and and they they want they wanted Magic, who is you know the captain, to take care of their son, which is fair. But then, like, why do it? you know, telepathically. Why that weird smile? (laughs) And just (laughs) the weirdness of what they're saying.
0: Scott says, yes, great job. Gene says, proud of you, son. And then at the end after Cyclops is like I've got a plan right which kind of makes sense it's like oh are they gonna what Tyler's been wanting on along are they gonna crash sword through a gate into other world and then Jean just says it must be done which is like a little creepy and I just I like it because it makes me read into Jean's intent a lot of we know I love Jean Grey and a lot of my reaction to her and that negatively in in Dawn of X is like I just don't feel like she's written with any dimension sometimes she kind of just arrives and does her psychic thing and then leaves and I think that for the same reason that I've liked her in a lot of X-Force I just feel like she has dimension. I like that Gene has secrets. I like that Gene has strategic ideas that are different than Cyclops' strategic ideas. It's interesting. So is this, like, the best chapter of X of Swords? No. no. But is it, like, internally just a really fascinating issue with a lot of questions? I think yes. I mean, we, I think we, 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 we kind of guessed that
2: there's going to be another shoe that would drop. You know, it's like, you know, we, we, we are led to believe that this is a sword quest and then a sort of fight. But I think somewhere in between something else is going to happen. And this might be like the very first, you know, inkling of that. Yeah. Sorry, Freya. Yeah, it's been a
0: while since we've heard from Freya.
1: No, no, no. I was just going to say, though, that it's like the other part of it was, I was kind of thinking, how is their plan connects to Sinister's plan? Right, because
0: like, this is, what is they... about contingencies this week. Right. All three of them.
1: Right. Um, so is that somehow connects as well and what she learned is it something to do with the past and like you know the future or something I, I don't know so uh, to be honest though it just this issue felt like a prelude to something different like it mm. didn't feel like a continuation of the story that we are reading but it felt like a prelude to a different thing which I mean you know you can say that oh that's a bad thing but to, I found the issue to be really good but the thing is like for this st- whole story, I thought it was a little bit weak.
2: No, that's true because, like, um, the question would be like, how does this fit in into, uh, yeah. you know, Ten of Swords? And we don't know because yeah, don't know. you know, if if it's a prelude to to the sword the sword, um series itself, um, then this here. shouldn't be here, right? Right?
0: I know so what you there, mean.
1: So is there is there is there more cable in X of Swords?
0: Just to follow up on that, like we are going to see another issue of Hellions, although it's really close to the end. So I'm maybe we're going to see the results of their little quest mm-hmm. a little bit in something like Stasis before then. Who knows? Yeah. Um, we are going to see another issue see of Cable, Cable. But again, it's one of the final issues. It's issue number 19. So mm-hmm. this, you know, some of these plot points might not all unfurl for a while. And that's it for New Mutants in this crossover. We're not going to see New Mutants no. again until it's over. So there's, you know, um, Doug clearly is going to be part of the main plot plot hellions and cable maybe come back in their own issues maybe come back in plots elsewhere but we've run mm-hmm. super long on this one so i guess kind of like final thoughts we clearly love this week even though we had some nitpicks next week we come to the big two because they're written by the co-authors of x of swords excalibur yeah. and x-men and x-men N- not neither of them my favorite series and dawn of x <laughs> any thoughts about what's to come next week free face Mm-mm. And Wait, I say what, that. What do we? And, what do we just say to Emma? Your face—you seem like you could be excited, <laughs> but your face is not telling me that at all. <laughs>
1: it is telling me not that. Like you know, and that and that's very true because you know I. Love Jonathan Hickman, like you know, if he asked me to marry him, I'll say yes right away. Like I love him that much, and I am not a fan of X Men except for X Men Six and X Men Seven. Those yes. are the two issues I absolutely love. But otherwise, I'm like, uh, oh, please. <laughs> and then also same with Excalibur. I was not very enthused, jazzed about it, as they say it. And you know, so to me, I'm like, uh, oh, it's it gonna is it gonna be another like too many data page like just history lesson? We don't yeah, know. and the next week is
0: followed by X of Swords Stasis, which is Stasis. the middle point, which is also written by Teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman. And then Jonathan Hickman leads off the following week in X-Men number 14. So we're up for a lot of Hickman. If I if you see me at express anger, <laughs> if I seem enraged. Just be prepared for me to read three weeks of Jonathan Hickman comics and, and how that usually makes me feel, okay? And, I'm going to try they, to contain my emotions, but I'm, I'm giving you advance warning both to my and, co-hosts and our viewership. No, and, okay. and I'm
1: telling you that the man knows how to write stories, just not individual issues. Like, yeah. he, he really... I, something... Ha- yeah, and then also, like, he doesn't care about characters. Like, please, what are characters? Right. You know, I don't care either. Uh, but the thing is, like, it just, like... Overall, like, see, like, overall, like, we talk about how great Docs has been, and that's his vision. But the thing is, individual st- issues, you're like, what are you saying, sir? But then you yeah. read it the whole uh, together, then you're like, oh, now kiss me.
0: But, <laughs> and that is what convinced
2: yeah. Peter to read everything, because, I mean, to, to ignite Peter's interest in Docs, because he read everything, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's very tightly woven. And it's not all, like, you know, um, you know, zombie X-Men written by Hickman, like, who doesn't speak like themselves. I mean, there are character works in, in them, like, written by different, uh, different writers um, who, who, who can handle things like that much better than Hickman.
0: Yeah, so we'll see. Three weeks of Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard coming up. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Tyler and Freya, for coming into this with uh, a lot of thoughts and nitpicks so it wasn't just us gushing the whole time because <laughs> these were three remarkable issues of X Men comic books. Wait,
2: before we go, can I say okay. something? Final That's thoughts what, from Tyler: the the reader, uh, I mean the, the the riddle for for for, for choosing uh Doug as a champion. It says. Out of one comes many and into many comes one. And some people think it like, you know, he's gonna die, resurrect, and different dimensions get back to you know, he he becomes pieces of different uh different multiverse versions of him. But
0: what if this is talking about Jimmy Maddox? I think it's kind of talking about the phalanx. Like Warlock in most other dimensions is synonymous with the phalanx because he's from that technarchy race and we know that that's an unexplored territory from powers of x like i I don't know i i i think there's i think it's so interesting that there's very specific potential bad news for each of the people who could die in the tournament right like what happens if betsy dies and she's not captain britain anymore what happens if magic dies do like who's going to come through magic from another reality so i think there's just like a lot of really interesting things to come so thank you for watching and listening sound off below did you love these as much as we do do you think these are the pinnacle of comic arts like we do are you excited or have trepidation about hickman and howard next few weeks and then finally what do you think the future holds in store for poor doug this has been another issue of this week in x issue episode who even knows at this point thank you so much for watching <laughs> and thank you tyler and Freya for joining me